0: So, it's my privilege to wrap up our series in David um, that we've been doing over the last few weeks. And I guess I just really wished that I could finish by saying the words, and they all lived happily ever after. Um, or, I'm going to fall in that hole if that stays there. Or, all of their dreams came true. And if that was the case, if that was really true, that we all lived happily ever after, I would legit be able to show you some snaps like this. (laughs) Or maybe this one. I don't care who else comes as long as I'm there. Or maybe this. If dreams really did come true, if we really did always get what we thought we deserved, then I'd legit be able to show you some of those. But the reality is, and I think everyone in this room understands that dreams don't always come true, that we don't always get what we think we deserve. We don't always receive what we feel is owed to us. And so then that leaves us all open to, I think, a universal question of what do we do when they don't come true? What do we do when we don't get what we want? I remember for me getting a phone call I was teaching um, in, uh, down in Hobart at the time and I knew that my mum had had some tests and some complications and we'd pretty much been told that, they're going to take her into surgery, but we pretty much know and are certain by all the tests that we've done leading up to this, that we're going to open your mum up and then we're pretty much going to go, it's what we thought was there and we're going to close her up and you're going to have to deal with that. And so I remember at the time going, God, like this is not how it's supposed to be. Like my, my parents are good people. My dad's a pastor, my mum's worked alongside him, they're really good people, this is not how it was supposed to be. And then later on as my parents did some missionary service in Papua New Guinea, I remember getting another phone call and being a long way away and hearing your sister is so incredibly sick, they don't know what is wrong with her, we have to fly her back now. Otherwise, she's not going to make it. She was like down. She was like seven. She was down to like twelve kilos or something. I don't do numbers. I hope that makes sense. Is that like <gasps> someone said? Yep. Okay. Um, so whatever it was, it was not great. And I'm like, what? God, this is not the way this was meant to turn out. I sat with my grandmother, who I spent growing up most of my summers with her. Most of our holidays I spent with her, she used to work in a sanitarium shop in Chermside Shopping Centre. And I would come home every holidays and I would just be in her shop with her back when that was okay. And we'd be. she taught me how to use the till. At lunchtime we'd buy a pie together. And there was like, it turned into nature's works at one point and there was like a whole wall of nuts and lollies and jelly beans, all this stuff that you could kind of pick out by the kilo, and at the end of the day, my grandmother would go and get a bag, Sarah, and put whatever you want in the bag. Some of my greatest memories are with my grandmother. But now I get to sit with my grandmother, and in a span of 10 minutes of time, I have to probably tell her five or six times, oh, do you have children, Sarah? And I'm like, yeah, grandma, I have four boys. And then the conversation will go on and she's got, have you got any girls? No, Grandma. I've got four boys and I think you so can understand with me the feeling of it wasn't meant to be this way. We weren't meant to forget amazing memories. We weren't meant to say goodbye to people too soon. We weren't meant to feel and experience the pain of hurt that crushes like we can't breathe, So what do we do with that? And does the Bible have some answers to that for us? Is there a way that the Bible can help us to move through these times when we feel like our dreams aren't coming true? And even worse, sometimes we see like God is granting our hopes and dreams to the person beside us. Why? I'm good. You owe us, surely God. I'm a good girl, and why I want to land in this space in David's story is because I think it is so remarkable the answer that he gives us to combat, I think, what is a universal feeling that we all understand in this room. So, we're going to dive into it very quickly. It's David's not-so-happy ending, but before I go, I w- before we start, I want to give you an idea of just how dramatic his ending is. So it's it's not G-rated. It's probably not even PG-rated. This story is like... <laughs> Thank you, Cameron, for covering Cooper's ear. You've got my back. Well done. Um <laughs> this is a story that if you could think of stories that are so dramatic, so crazy, how could that even happen? It's not even true. This is one of those stories. And to give you an idea of what I mean, I've got probably some things that maybe you will jog your memory of these kind of stories. Uh-huh. Bold and beautiful. If you go to my doctor's surgery at 4.30, it's always on. We are maybe bold and beautiful might not be your vintage, but maybe this will be. you'll get a picture of drama when you imagine this total drama island i actually say that in my house a lot i'm like seriously this is like total drama island so this is the store. this this should evoke in you what the rest of David's story is like. It just seems a little bit too crazy to be true. So if you want to follow on, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to talk your way through it. But if you want to follow on, we're in 2 Samuel. Um, and if you want to go all the way back, well, let's have a look. We're going we're to binge watch David's story. Okay, so we're going to do seven episodes all in the one sitting. You can't tell me you haven't done that at some point in time of some TV show. We're going to binge watch David's story. Episode one, Desire Reigns. It's a story that you probably know. um, The Bible talks about it's a time when all kings should be at war. David is not at war. We don't know why he's chosen not to go, but he's not there. He stands on the roof of his palace. And looks out over and sees a beautiful young woman bathing, as you do, naked on your rooftop, okay. Um, And David says, who is she? And people go, his people, you know, because you have people when you're the king, go and find out. And they come back and they say, David, it is um, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Wifey, wife, 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 she's married, she's married, David's wife. And David says, Go and get her for me. And when you live in that space and the king says, Go and get her, you go and get her. And when they come knocking on your door, you say yes and you come. So David spends the night with the married Bathsheba. And the Bible doesn't say, but, you know, doesn't give an indication of how many nights they spent together, but we know there was at least one. And then she goes home. And then at the close of this episode, we hear word comes to David that Bathsheba is pregnant. And we see David sitting there going, "Mm mm-hmm, all right. How do we keep this quiet? But the reality is when you live in a palace and it's full of servants, your walls talk. There is no way of keeping this quiet. And then it finishes... And then we go into the next episode, the cover-up. David is frantically going, how am I going to fix this? What can I do? So he sends to the battlefield, bring back her husband. Let's put them together. Everyone will think it's his baby, not mine, and everything will be so fine. But there is a flaw because Uriah is a righteous and honest man. And when he is invited home and David says, go and, you know, woohoo, thanks for giving me the news on the battle. Why don't you go and spend some time in your home with your wife? He goes, no, and sleeps on the doorstep of the palace. And David's like, well, that didn't work. What are we going to do now? So he says, you know what? I'm so grateful for what you have done. Why don't you spend one more night here before going back into the battlefield? Let me honor you. So he gives him a party, gets him drunk, points him towards his house and goes, off you go, thinking that that will be the solution. But Uriah does not. Because in Uriah's head, he's like, how can I go and lay peacefully with my wife when my men are out on the battlefield dying? And so David goes, well, this cover-up is not working, so what do I do now? So he actually signs a note that says, I'm sending Uriah back to you. Put him at the front, and at the heat of battle, when it's so hot, I want everyone to draw back, and I want you to leave him at the front. And whoops, who knows? Battles are bad. He may just die. So Uh, Uriah gets this note. He is legitimately carrying his own death warrant back to the battlefield. And it happens just as the king requested. Uriah is sent to the front um, of the battle. When it gets really hot, the commander pulls everyone else back. Uriah is left there. And of course, he dies in combat. And this amazing king says, you know what? Bathsheba, you mourn your husband and then let me bring you into the palace and I will look after you and your child like an amazing king that's just looking after someone else's child and raising. But the truth is the same as when it happened, the walls talk in a palace and this becomes common knowledge. So much knowledge, in fact, that our next episode rolls in to where we find Nathan the prophet. So a prophet is someone that God speaks to and then the prophet goes and speaks to God's people on his behalf, delivering messages. So Nathan has a message and he comes to David to confront David in his sin. Now he's wise enough to go, I'm not just going to call you out, he weaves a story a story about a man that has just so wronged someone else and it should be fixed. And uh, David just becomes so passionate about this story and he just goes, you know what? The man in that story that has wronged people should be put to death because that is so wrong. And Nathan very cleverly turns around and goes, that is you, that is you, David. You are the man in the story. You took something that didn't belong to you. You killed someone to cover something up. And then Nathan goes on to uh, explain this. And and there's a beautiful picture here that David acknowledges that he has broken God's law in a spectacular way. He has broken God's law. But the beautiful thing about David is then he allows God's law to break him. And David breaks down, I'm so sorry God, I'm so sorry for what I've done, I've done wrong, i followed the wrong path, it's so stupid, please Lord have mercy on me, I'm so wrong. And Nathan says in response to that, you know what, your God is gracious, he's amazing and he forgives you and you will not die. But the tricky thing about sin, it was true then, and I believe it's true now, is that sin comes pre-packaged with consequences. And David was going to have to suffer through some of these consequences. They were going to come. And because his sin was a very public sin, as a leader of a nation, he should have known better. Nathan says the consequences to your sin are going to be big. And they're going to be broad, and people are going to know about it. And then the episode ends there, and David continues on being king. And then we fast forward a few years, and now we hear about David's family. So there's like a there's stepchildren, um, half sisters and brothers. And we hear about Amnon, David's oldest, so this is like we're kind of getting up to the the kind of ugh, not so nice part of this story. That was not great, but this is even worse. Amnon is totally, totally bewitched by his um, half-sister, loves her, like is so passionate about her, uh, just wants to be with her, wants to be with her. His half-sister like doesn't give him the time of day. I've got a brother to give him much time of day at times in my life, but So, Amnon is just like all consumed with this desire, I'm going to use the word desire more than love, I think, but all consumed with desire for his half-sister. She doesn't give him the time of day. He decides to take matters into his own hands, talks to one of his cousins, I think it was at the time, what can I do? How can I get this woman to become mine? And he concocts a plan to pretend that he is so very, very sick, gravely ill, in fact, that His half-sister, could, if she could just prepare him, like an amazing meal, a last meal, that that would help him along the way. So he asked for permission to do this, and David's like, yeah, okay, sure, she can prepare a meal for you and help you out, like, that's nice. And so Tamar does this, she prepares the meal, she comes into the room where Amnon is sick, and... Um, Amnon sends everyone else out of the room, it's him and Tamar in the space together and he says to Tamar, huh, surprise, I'm not really sick but I really, really love you, can you lie down with me and um, Tamar's like no, the, th- th- the text says, she says no, this is wrong. This is wrong in our culture, this is wrong for you to do this, this will ruin me, don't do it. But the text then says that Amnon is stronger than her and he forces himself onto Tamar and she is ruined. And David finds out about it and does nothing. And this woman gets up and walks out of that space. In fact, she doesn't even get the chance to get up and walk out. The Bible tells us that the second that the pleasure of that moment was over, Amnon hated her with a passion. The Bible says he hated her more than he ever loved her the moment after his desire was filled. And he says to her, get up and get out. And she leaves that space as a ruined woman that will never marry, never have a family of her own. And so this cycle of crazy town drama keeps going. Absalom is uh, the next episode um, by now, we probably should have eaten something and had a cool drink. But episode five um, Absalom, one of the, a full brother to Tamar, um, he's known about what happened for a really long time, but didn't say a thing to Amnon. And years went by. But there was a revenge that just really, really burnt deep inside him. And so a few years later, he puts on a massive banquet, asks permission to invite all of his brothers. So the whole family's there, gets them good and drunk. And then once everyone's super, super jolly and merry, he brings out his people. And Amnon is just slaughtered at the table in front of everyone to avenge what happened to his sister. His brothers flee that way. Absalom flees this way and David is left in a kingdom that is just once again in turmoil. And then years go on and we hear that David is missing his son Absalom. Episode 6. He finally calls Absalom back to the kingdom, but on the proviso that he never actually sees his father's face. So Absalom returns in somewhat safety back to the kingdom as the son that's done something really wrong, killed a brother, killed the person in line to the kingdom. But his father, David, refuses to see him. And so he waits for years in that space, effectively under house arrest. You're safe here, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want anything. don't want to see you. You can't even look upon my face. And Absalom is so ticked off, he's like, come on, if you call me back here, why am I here? So in order to get an audience with the king, he goes to the king's general's farm and burns down his farm just to get some attention. And then the, the leader of the guards says, whoa, hold up, what are you doing? Why, uh, why did you just burn down my field? Well, hang on, you won't take my messages. My God, My dad won't take my messages. So now I've got your attention. Please send a message. So David gets the message, David invites Absalom into the kingdom, into the the palace, they meet face to face, and they embrace, and that's meant to be all good, and it's all over, they don't meet again, in that kind of a way, but there's a rebellion brewing, Absalom is like, no way, this is not okay, in fact, I want this, I want this kingdom. I'm now next in line, so I want to take it. So he's very shrewd and very clever. And 2 Samuel 15 sets up the story, talks about how Absalom for four years took a caravan, um, like an entourage, and sat up outside the king's gate. So when the people came to see the king for uh, judgings, for rulings, how can you help us, king? Absalom would be the first person. And he would interact with the people on a daily basis, and over a period of time, the word on the street is that Absalom has captured the people's hearts. He has been the one over the four years that has continually helped the people. So they are in love with him. And David knows there's a sense of their civil war is about to break out. And this next episode, episode seven, is where I really just want to sit for a little space, a space in time. This is where David decides, if I stay and defend my kingdom, I'm going to lose this place. You will be slaughtered. He will not stop at anything. We know what he is like. He'll just kill everyone, ruin everyone. Anyone that's associated with me will be gone. So David gets up He relinquishes his throne and he walks out of the city and he's heading towards the wilderness again. We saw in past weeks when David was around about 20, 22, he was out in the wilderness running from what he thought was rightfully his. And here we find again he's now 60. And is heading into the wilderness again and this is the important part of the story because this is where i think you and i intersect with this story whether it's in our past whether we currently are sitting at this intersection or whether it's in our future because i think david is saying here in this space it wasn't supposed to be this way god chose me as king it wasn't supposed to turn out like this My hopes and dreams are not coming true in this moment as he's walking in, walking out into the wilderness. And there's such a beautiful part of this story, which I think gives us the answer of what do we do when our hopes and dreams don't come true. And David speaks these words. You see, he was going to take the Ark of the Covenant out with him into the wilderness. The Ark of the Covenant in this culture is the very presence of God. If he took it with him, it would be like he is taking the presence of God with him, leaving it out of the kingdom and taking it with him. And David gets a sense of, whoa, I've tried before to sort all this out on my own. I've tried before to make my own dreams and desires come true. I've tried to manipulate my world before and it hasn't worked and in this moment he says something that's so profound that I think we can we can really wrestle with as well when we are like this didn't happen and I really want it to happen can I manipulate my world to make what I want to happen he says this then the king said to Zadok who was in charge of the ark take the ark of God back into the city take it back I can't take it with me And then this is the beautiful thing that he says, let this sit in your mind. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it, his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him not whatever seems good to me, not what I think is right, not what my hopes and dreams were. But David, in this moment where it was just, again, not how it was supposed to be, he has the wisdom to say, you know what, God? Not my will, but your will be done. If you think it is good, then let it be done to me. And this is not in isolation. We'll move quickly back through some of these episodes. And these are the Psalms... I need my Bible. I'll go back there. These are the Psalms that David wrote in these periods of time. Whoa, hold up. All good. Okay. Let's go to Psalm 51. So when Nathan was rebuking um, David, so he's in the midst of a storm of like, whoa, I made this, I created this mess. This is what David wrote. Lord, how, uh, how? no, that's not the right one. Let's go to 51, because 51 sounds very different to three. Real different. We'll go back to there. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great passion, blot out my transgressions. And as he goes down, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God. You who are God, my Savior. You who are God, my Savior. And then we go to Absalom returns. And there's this turmoil of he knows civil rest is about to to happen. It's all chaotic again. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But yet this is what David writes in the midst of that space in Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying saying of me, God will not deliver you, but you, Lord, you, Lord, who is still God, are a shield around me. You're my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And then again, as he's walking into the wilderness going, what the heck happened? I'm 60 now. I'm too old for this. This is what he writes. You, God, are my God. I seek you. In fact, I thirst for you because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. He's walking out of his kingdom, he's giving away his kingdom to avoid civil unrest. And he is in that space, being able to say, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing on my lips. And from my mouth, I will praise you. David has the ability to recognize that that, whoa, that your dreams and, uh, that don't come true, it's not an indication of who God is. Where you don't get what you want, where it doesn't turn out the way you think it should be, it says nothing about the goodness of God. I love this quote. It says, The foundation of our faith cannot be tied to our feelings because our feelings fluctuate. And that's not what a foundation is. A foundation is something that is solid, that stays there. Our faith must be anchored to the truth of who God is, who he is to me. And only then can we find the stability that allows us to move to a place where our feelings don't control that. David knows that God is good. That God is good to him. And that God is good at being God. And if you fast forward some time, we are so blessed to be in a space where we have a full understanding or a knowledge of the cross. That was something that was foretold in David's time, but we can read about it. We can experience it on a personal level. And when you're really, really struggling, when we are at that cross point of my dreams aren't coming true, this is not the way it's supposed to end. God, you owe me. I was a good girl, and I still missed out. I was honest, and I still lost my job. I did everything that my boyfriend asked me to do. I went way beyond what I thought I should do, but yet I still lost him. This is not how it's meant to turn out. I studied hard in the final two weeks of school. How come I didn't get the mark that I wanted? Come on, God. This is the space where we are invited to look at the cross and go, if you want a clear indication of who God is and who he is to you, look at the cross. Don't look at your current circumstances, because in no way is it an indicator of God's faithfulness to you. His faithfulness to you, who he wants to be for you, is what he did on the cross. He died for you. He chose you. And he wants to give you a life that has so much good in it. He's saying, I am good. I am good for you. And I am good at being God. Let me be God. And that's the challenge for us. As we walk out today, undoubtedly we all have stuff. It just feels like it wasn't meant to be this way, so how would I deal with it? And I just challenge you to go, be like David. Look beyond your current feeling and see that God is good, that he is faithful. Your dramas, add them up. Do they equal what David did? Do you have a right to say, you know what, David, that theory is so dumb because your life doesn't have anywhere near as much drama as mine has? If it's true, like, whoa, come and see us, we'll pray. But um, I think as you read through the story of David, you've got that bold and beautiful Riverdale-like gossip girl. It's all in there. Apart from Jesus, it's the biggest snapshot of a whole life that we have in our Bible, and we see devastation, betrayal again and again and again and again, and yet we see a man that says, "You know what? Despite what is happening now, God is God." He is good. He is good for me. And he is good at being God. That is the challenge. I don't think it's essentially easy. I think there's times that we really wrestle with it. And that's why I'm so glad this story is in the Bible. Go back and read it for yourself. But a recognition that God is good. God is God. He's good to me and he's really good at being God. And And I think the reason why we don't kind of go that way sometimes is this just this little word that a lot of us don't really love. It's in every leadership book you ever read. It's what every employer wants, but we all wrestle with it and it's called humility. And David had the ability to sit in a space and go, it's all gone to custard And a lot of it was because the decisions I made. Some of it was because of the decisions that other people made. And we are sitting in that same space. But David has the ability to stop and go, but you are God, not me. You are God. I'm not going to manipulate it because you are God. I want to let you be God. And that is the challenge that are set before you today as we wrap up this story of David. Don't lose sight that God is good even when it doesn't feel good. That God is good to you even when it doesn't feel like it. And that God is good at being God. Read his Bible, he's good at it. So I want to um, end today with I guess the ability for you to respond. And the challenge is, I want to pray together uh, before we leave this space. But sometimes it's really easy just to pray because we just we just know how to do it. Some of us have never done it before and that's okay. It's just like having a conversation. Some of us are like so good at, we're like professionals, we can do it without actually even thinking and we can kind of do it without actually even meaning it. it it's just like a rote learn thing. We pretty, some of us are pretty good at that too. But I want, and we say this when we do small groups here with our young adults, that if you sit in, in with the Bible but you don't allow it to change you, then you've just read a novel. Right? You've just read a story. I want to give you the opportunity to apply this in your space and time right now. I want you to not step out this door without the time and space to go, you know what, God, I humble myself before you. I've tried to fix it on my own. I can't do it. I want to humble myself before you and I want to give you the opportunity to do it. So this is how we're going to do it. But I want to preface it with, Whatever you want to do, that's so fine with you. Be comfortable, whatever you do. Don't look beside you. This is a moment between you and God. It's not a moment between you and your friends and God. This is a moment between you and God. And I think there's no better way to humble yourself before the creator of this universe than to kneel before him. And that's what I want to do together as a church. I want to give you the opportunity to kneel before our God today and go, you know what, God? You are God. You are good to me, and you are good at being God. So I don't know how this works if you're on the bleachers, because I've never tried to kneel up there before. (laughs) You girls are like, "Mm mm-hmm, I don't know how this is going to happen. So I I have a solution. If you are comfortable and you are on the bleachers, and if you want to take place, if you don't, please just stay in your seat. This, you don't have to do this. But I want to give you the chance to walk out here change, to have acknowledged between you and God on a personal level that I want to humbly come before you and say, you are God. So if you are on the bleachers and you're like, oh, I can't kneel like that, come down to the floor. Kneel on the floor with us. So if you want to move, come kneel, and then I'll explain the rest of it. So Come to your knees if you want to. No pressure if you don't want to, but I want to give you the chance to humble yourself before your God this morning. I also want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to pray over you, but I want to give you the opportunity of making this personal for you. So I'm going to give it a go. When I'm praying... If I hear your voice and it joins mine, know that I'm not going to be offended. Know that I'm going to rejoice that you have found your voice and this is your personal moment that you can say, you know what, God, you are God and you are good. So if this whole room erupts with people saying their own personal prayer to God, then praise God. Let's hear that sound of a congregation, of a community that says, we don't want to go another day without going, God, you are God, you are good, you are good to me, and you are good at being God. So I'm going to start praying. I'll keep praying the whole way through. But if you want your voice to join mine and personally give that space to God in your life, give him that authority to be God, then let your voice join mine as well. Father God, we want to thank you for an amazing day. We want to thank you for the ability to time and time again, after we've made mistakes and we've done wrong and we've stuffed up, that you make a way for us to come back to you, that you want to be the Lord of our life. And Lord, it's not an indication of how you feel about us. The biggest indication of how you feel about us is when you put yourself on that cross, Father God, as we lift our voices to you today, we want to say, acknowledge and recognize that you are a good God, that you are good to us, and that you are good at being God. And Lord, when we are in the midst of our darkness, we want to pray that like David, praise to you will just roll off our tongue, because we humbly recognize who you are. Lord, we love you. Change us, shape us, mold us. Let us learn from David. Let us go from this place with you always being in our hearts and minds. And let us rejoice in the freedom that you bring. Lord, forgive us, break us, and bring us into your kingdom. We love you, God. And we cannot wait to see you. In your holy name, amen.